Hey Neighbors Church, Dan and Alexis here, joining you on this beautiful Wednesday. We're just so excited to be able to have a moment with you, um, and honestly count it a, really a great privilege to be able to get into your headspace. Dan, you've had some exciting um, things come to an end in your life in this past week. Uh, Want to tell us about that? I do, uh, and it will tie in with what has sparked our conversation for today. Uh, last Thursday, after five and a half years, I finished my final paper uh, for my master's degree, a master of divinity, which is so oxymoronic. Uh, they're going to give me a piece of paper that says I have mastered divinity. That just doesn't make any sense to me. But it's been a haul, and school is over. And Honestly, job well done. I mean, oh. man, this yeah. has just been uh, an incredible journey. Our family's been on. I'm so proud of you, though. Oh yeah, and I definitely would say um, job well done to you, babe. It's <laughs> it's been it's been summer vacations. It's been me on airplanes realizing that I'm 400 pages behind on a reading assignment. It's been it's been a fiasco. It's been multiple multiple hours of work. And here's where it's landed us. Uh, today, we're recording this on a Tuesday. It's officially the second day of my work week um, where I have no workload, no school, and no school in the future. And um, Alexis and I have been having multiple conversations as we've been on our walks about the way our life has been lived over the last five years and how school concluding is really bringing into focus some things that are both greatly needed in our lives, um, but are also, uh, to be honest, terrifying. So let me just set the scene for you, and then we'll get into our, our conversation topic in detail. Um, we'll just start in like 2014, when I decided to, to go back to school and get this master's degree. At the time, we were in Seattle, leading uh, an incredible church. In that season of our church, God had put this beautiful team around us. It was really a sweet, sweet time of ministry, and things were just humming right along, and um, decided it was time to get into a building, and so we got ourselves wrapped up in a building project, and as with most building projects in the church world, it went south. Uh, you have no clue how difficult it is to get a conservative Christian nonprofit community into property in the center of King County. It was a nightmare. Plus, on top of that, budget overages. Every single time I sat down with a spreadsheet, it was just red, and I would just lose my mind. Suffice it to say, for myself and the team and my wife, it was heads down, all hands on deck, hands to the plow, work, grind, go, keep at it, don't give up and write papers, and do school. Um, and that season came to a close-up in Seattle. We prayed with our church for an extended amount of time because we had been invited by a buddy of mine from, from seminary in this same program, Evan Wickham, to come on a church planting team. And God confirmed that. And so um, we made the move from Seattle to San Diego. We left everything up there with our teenage kids. We came down here after being in Seattle for over a decade and helped this another incredible team uh, with the Persleys and the Wickhams and some, some other just genuinely beautiful souls. We got to help plant this church, Park Hill Church, and that has just been a wild ride. That church has just gone, and it's such a precious community that we love so dearly, and it was heads down, all hands on deck, hands to the plow, 
go, 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 go. And write papers and make sure you get your reading done and make sure that your teenage kids are being mentored and parented well and love your wife. All of those things, right? And then out of Park Hill, uh, things were moving quickly and God moved all of us as a team to begin to plant Neighbors Church. And so we've planted Neighbors Church. And uh, that's been an incredible time. We're about six, seven months into this thing, planting in a global pandemic, which has its issues. Uh, But on all fronts, Neighbors Church is thriving in the middle of this, and we're doing exceedingly well. And so that brings us to this moment last week when I turn in my last paper. We are coming into this season where I don't have hours of reading and writing to do every week. Like it's not necessary. I don't have to do it. It's not structured. Um, We're not planning any big moves like Idaho to Seattle, Seattle to San Diego. My wife and I are praying to die in San Diego. We want to make this our home for the rest of our lives and raise grandkids here. That whole thing, that's our prayer. So there's no big move. There's no future casting happening right now. What's the next big thing? There's no building project, that gigantic monkey, gorilla, boa constrictor, strangling thing is, is gone. Um, there's no building. We're in quarantine. We're at home in our sweats. <laughs> uh, there's no like big ministry initiatives out in front of us. We want to settle in with neighbors, and we want to raise up leaders, and we want to love humans, and we want to love our neighbors. And all of that sets me in this place where what feels like for us the first time in many, many, many years, maybe the first time in our marriage, it's beginning to feel like I'm going to have some margin, some margin to work, you know, 45, 50 hours instead of 60 or 70 hours to have some margin to read some books that I want to read, to, uh, to not rush from my silent and solitude time or my prayer time into this go, 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 but to have some, some margin. And Lex and I have been talking, we've needed this. And I am discovering that I am terrified of it. I'm terrified of it. That's the big idea for today. The need for margin in our lives. And yet the ironic, and I think somewhat tragic, unconscious terror of margin that we all have. You know, Jesus and Paul uh, had margin. If you look at their lives, you see these rhythms that were just part of the, the fabric of what they were doing every day. You know, I think we can have this misinformed idea that Jesus and Paul had like smartphones with constant access to emails and meetings and they never took a rest, but really, that is not at all the case. We see with Jesus in the Gospels taking these moments where he retreats. I'm going to go seek my Father. I'm going to go pray. You know, he takes moments where he leaves the disciples, and he has quiet stillness. We see it modeled in his life. And as well with Paul, we can see that he had months um, spent drifting along in ships, you know, walking the dusty roads of the Roman Empire between his various church planting endeavors. And so it's important to recognize that margin, retreating, having space to seek the Father for the work that we're doing is literally part of the scriptures. Yeah, and we make a huge mistake when we impose our modern, frenetic, technologically advanced supercomputer in our pocket culture upon 
Jesus and St. Paul. They lived in a society that had margin built into its rhythms, particularly the agrarian nature of seasonal work, 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 and then rest, rest for long duration. What we do, though, in our modern way of existing is we tend to, or at least I am feeling tempted to, either unintentionally or intentionally sabotage the margin that God is granting to my family right now in this brand new season. I am inclined to self-destruct in it. It's crazy because as we've been talking about this, um, we, we want to think of ourselves as victims of the chaos in our lives, victims of the calendar, victims of the busyness. But in reality, almost all of the stuff that was so chaotic and so pressure creating in our lives, it came on because of free decisions that I made in concert with my teams or with my wife. We made the decision. We didn't have to get into a building project. We really didn't. We had a great rental space. We didn't have to do that, but we decided to do that. And I think that we obeyed God. In fact, I know we obeyed God, but it was a decision that we made and we didn't have to make it. Um, I decided I want to get my master's degree. I didn't have to get my master's degree, but I decided to do that. And that, that compressed the margin that I had. You know, the night that you actually completed your last paper, you came downstairs, the kid and I, the kids and I had got a chocolate cake to celebrate and we're eating cake and Dan saying, oh, I want to go on this retreat with you, Lex. And I want to like plan and strategize for like what we're doing next. And, and then you're like, oh, and there's also this doctorate program at Duke and I want to be part of that. And I know it's a little ways away, but like instantly the moment your paper's in, you're already planning for the next thing and let's strategize and let's start. And all of it's couched in like holy things like let's pray and seek Jesus and strategize. But it's like you had barely (laughs) submitted your paper. (laughs) Five minutes into a moment of margin. And um, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just me. I don't think it is, but I immediately just begin filling it Mm -hmm. as quickly as I can Margin doesn't feel all of a sudden as peaceful and green pastures and still waters. It feels like an abyss. It feels like dropping into a very disorienting space. And I've been asking myself, why? Here's some of the reasons that I'm coming up with. This level of margin where I, in my prayer times in the morning, let's say I wake up at 5.30 or 6 and I do my hour, hour and a half. But if I do my time of prayer... I always feel in the back of my mind, well, I need to get this reading done. I need to get this paper written. I need to get that meeting taken care of. I need to get that email. Margin, though, is all of a sudden creating space for me to not have to rush out of that. And what that's doing is it's creating time for real reflection. I mean, real reflection about the last five years, the last six years. It's creating space for deep, deep prayer and more self-awareness of what's been driving me And then those existential questions come up. What is life about? You know, I have time to reflect right now. I have time to really reflect. What is this whole thing about? I'm 43. Am I doing what God wants me to do? And am I loving what God loves? And am I loving what God is loving me doing? Those types of questions, when you're just always going, especially when you're always going in the name of God, 
can be very disorienting and just a little bit scary. And so as I'm asking these questions, reflecting on these things, margin, um, margin feels unsettling. So especially if you start asking, well, am I doing enough? Am I significant? Am I making an impact? All of those things that, that we all wrestle with. Yeah, and this isn't to be confused with the idea that particularly my generation, I'm at the older the older part of that spectrum, but millennials have embraced, and it's this whole idea of our line of work has to be our passion and calling. Um, I'd venture to say that Paul, Peter, the disciples, even probably Jesus, uh, had moments where they would have rather been preaching the gospel, spending time in community, baptizing new converts, than, you know, tent making and traveling the dusty roads like we talked about. But um, there is something that is sacred about the, the holiness of everyday events and the workings of our life. And margin can make you feel like things are mundane. And so we can kind of get tripped up because we're like, am I doing what I'm passionate about? Am I, you know, functioning in my calling when maybe the margin is the everyday mundane, working your nine to five job, you know, loving people, serving your city, that kind of thing versus looking for this big thing that's supposed Mm -hmm. to be like so exciting and thrilling every single day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like margin just parts the curtain on the facade of busyness and impact and significance and platform. And margin gives you enough room to sit on your couch, uh, you know, your outdoor couch out in your backyard, which which we have, and, uh, and to take notice of the flower and to spend an extra five minutes going, man, that flower, the colors, the hues, all of it. And that's there's nothing significant about that for anybody. But margin gives you that space. And if you have the narrative in your head that um, I just always need to be doing because when I'm doing, then I'm something. Then I'm someone. Then I'm valuable. Then I'm worthy. Margin creates space for experiencing the sacredness of mundanity and the everyday normalness. And um, I do think that this is what Jesus was saying when he said, to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. I think he was saying... You have to lose the false construct of busyness and doing and significance and what we root our value in to truly find yourself staring at a flower for an extra 10 minutes this morning in prayer because you were struck by the beauty of the flower. Uh, And that's actually a really profound thing, if not disorienting for somebody like me that's just been going and and missing the flowers for so long. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about uh, practically... And maybe not even so practically, maybe even somewhat abstractly. How? If if we need margin, but in many ways we're terrified of it because of what it opens us up to, how do we actually create room for margin? And I think it's important to start this section of our conversation, hun. You and I are, have really been wrestling in our conversations on our walks about this and prior to this recording that some of us listening right now, you're in a real situation where, you know, your eyes are rolling. Margin is just not possible. Uh, you're a single mom. You're working a whole bunch of jobs or, or COVID. Yeah. I mean, for some, the idea of margin really seems far-fetched. And even as Dan mentioned, 
Um, I have dear friends that since COVID, they've literally lost all margin in their lives and their workload has dramatically increased and they're buried. Um, But this, we want to make the distinction, is not the distraction that we're talking about in this podcast. We're addressing the dramatic busyness that many Americans uh, have um, and that we continually subject ourselves to, but we actually have control over it. Oftentimes, instead of us taking charge over it, it is ruling over us. And so there is, we really want to make that clear that there is a huge distinction. We're not talking about people who are literally just having to work um, maybe two, three jobs, mom and dad, Mm -hmm. to make ends meet. We're talking about those of us who have maybe willfully added a bunch to our plate that are actually distractions from what God's actually wanting to do in our lives. Yeah, and for you who are just buried right now, um, your Father knows what you need in this season. You've got to hear that. Your Father knows that right now you're having to work six, seven days a week. Your Father knows. He's not against you. He's for you. And even in that, even in adopting and embracing that truth that your Father knows what you need, God the Holy Spirit wants to create a posture of margin or a posture of rest, even in the midst of all the busyness and exhaustion. God the Holy Spirit will grant, He wants to grant to you a perspective and a posture that lives out of rest and lives in spaces of margin in the midst of the chaos. And so that's just for you to know that we are with you and praying for you and love you. For the rest of us, for the rest of us, where we're self-sabotaging margin, which I would say is the the bulk of middle-class Americans, Um, we're self-destructing opportunities that we have. What and how do we return and just courageously embrace margin? And I think... I'm living this right now, so there's not a whole lot of answers. What I'm discovering right now is for sure, number one, recognizing and confessing and being honest. I'm terrified of this. This is very disorienting for me. I have rooted my whole identity in doing, 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 going, 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 and I've always had something to do, 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 go, 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 and this is is overwhelming me. Yeah, I mean, there's oftentimes margin that we're unconsciously filling up. I mean... You look at how much time we spend even on our phones. Like, there could be margin that's that's there, but instead we are picking up our phones, we're reading the latest headline on COVID, or we're checking our Instagram, or we're YouTubing a video, or we're looking at Pinterest. Oh, man, we're working ourselves out of a job right now. We've got our phone in our head. We're podcasting right now when we could be creating margin. No, just finish this podcast and then (laughs) then go to margin. You know, our calendars are an interesting thing. We talk about looking at our calendars, and um, I like to say that our calendars need to be like good, loyal, sturdy, broken horses. I'm from Idaho, so of course there's got to be some cowboy illustrations. Uh, A broken horse doesn't have like broken legs. A broken horse is a horse that serves the rider, goes where the rider wants it to go. Um, And an unbroken horse is what we call a bucking bronco. And they're very dangerous and uh, very hard to stay on. Calendars should be like good broken horses. 
they should serve us. We should sit down with our calendar and, and line out where it's going to take us during the week as we will it. But I think for a lot of us, when we look at our calendars, they're really bucking Broncos and they're kicking us off and they're kicking us in the face and it's complete chaos. And uh, if the calendar, if the, if the horse won't break and serve you, then you need to shoot it. <laughs> um, and that's a repetitive process. Sometimes you got to kill multiple I don't know. This is getting so gory. You got you to kill so many calendars because every week it's like Sunday, you sit down to your family planning for the week and you have to take everything off the calendar and say, what is absolutely essential? This needs to serve us this week. The calendar has to serve us to create margin. We're not going to react. We're going to actually use the calendar to create margin. So many ways that that will be helpful in finding those balance points of reprieve. Additionally, if you can, uh, we'd encourage you to practice Sabbath keeping. We need to do an entire series on Sabbath. It's so, so important. So important. Uh, Again, for some, the idea of Sabbath keeping is really overwhelming. Um, Many people are like, I can hardly find two hours in my week to uh, have some space. I would encourage you Start with those two hours. If that's literally what you have, start with what you have. Uh, Maybe you have six hours. Start with that six hours set apart for reflection and literally just delighting in the life you've been given. And from there, I would encourage you, like, increase that incrementally as you can. Um, Another practice is silence. In silence, we're able to uh, hear. Silence, in, a, in, in many ways, is a form of margin. Mm. It gives us um, the ability to listen. And it's not just this, like, trendy thing that everyone's doing, all the influencers on Instagram are doing, but it's a practice that enables us to actually hear who we are in Christ and that we're loved, and we're cared for, and we're delighted in. And so honestly, our souls really need to have silence to really make it in the long run. For sure. And you actually need to practice it. And we're not talking about, you know, doing a four-day silent retreat. Um, You may work up to that some point in your life if God gives you that opportunity. We're talking about five minutes. I know for me, this week particularly, uh, I've been struggling with having like a duration, a longer duration of time in silence. So this week I've been saying, okay, three times a day, I'm going to take seven minutes of silence. And so that accumulates to about 20 minutes a day. And for me, that's where I'm creating that margin. And that may be for me um, before I have breakfast, then it's right after lunchtime. And then in the evening, you know, before, while the kids are doing dishes and all that kind of thing, I take a moment to have quiet. But it's just finding these ways to have moments that you can put it into your day to listen and to have margin. Yeah, and for you, Mama Bear, with the little short two-foot tyrants, um, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Um, and you got to get it in wherever you can get it in. It's earplugs and gun muffs for me out in the garage where I just lock doors. Um, this is going to sound so silly, but a little moment in the bathroom. Uh, everything's wrapped up. Take a minute there and just be aware of your breath. Find those moments. You know, one of the primary reasons that we lose margin in our lives 
is because we aren't determining the course of our own lives. We are allowing others to determine our schedule. We are so given over to what others think about us, and we're so given over to this societal standard. Uh, I think it was in The Atlantic. Don't quote me on that. But some time ago, there was an article addressing the Manhattan professional who, who kind of wore it as a badge of honor to be working 80 hours a week. Um, and our society sets these standards of value and worth, and then we let others determine our schedule for us. And you see it in the way that we greet each other. Even on Sunday mornings in our community at church, when we all gather together, what do we always say to each other? Hey, how you doing? Usually the immediate response is, oh man, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm so busy. It's just this and that. Uh, some of that is because the community, the society around us creates that standard and we live into what that expectation is. But can you imagine, can you imagine on Sunday morning, you're shaking your friend's hand. Good to see you again. How was your week? How are you doing? And they respond with this huge warm smile and they say, man, I just, I feel rested. I feel like I'm in, in the flow right now. Like I have this time in the mornings, it's five, 10 minutes of silence and just centering and then as I go about my day, I return to that, and my soul is at ease. There's a lot going on right now, but I feel like I have real, can, I have energy. Can, can you imagine if that was the first response, what kind of community we would have, what kind of standard we would set for, for society around us? <laughs> I mean, it would honestly be incredible. It's that whole idea um, that Pete Scazzaro talks about, um, living within the gifts of your limitations. Um, our limitations could be a God-given, created margin for us. Um, I think about, like Dan talked about, the moms who have little ones, and you're just like, ah, oh, you have so many things you want to do, but the fact is the season of your life, um, your little ones have you more tethered in a way that limits you. Could that be margin that God has given you through that limitation? You know, you have to be very intentional about this. When you begin to be exposed to the contemplative practices and a more contemplative way of life, Alexis and I, this is not about um, just pondering our navels and being still for the sake of being still. We love Keating's term, contemplative activists. And you have to be intentional about the contemplative slow down, create margin peace so that you can act and charismatically, that is, live in the power and movement of the Spirit um, accurately and well. And you can't be lazy about this contemplative side of things. It, this is not... Slowing down and creating margin is an active process. Um, it was actually C.S. Lewis. He said that it's really lazy people that are, that are overworked. They're working too hard. And what he meant by that was there's a laziness in us in that we will abdicate to other people they're going to do it. They're going to tell us what to do. And we're just going to do whatever they demand rather than us living into our limits. And intentionally, with a lot of hard effort, saying, I'm limited right now. And so I have to limit how much I can do or what I'll do or why I'll do it so that I can contemplate, rest, come out of margin, so that what I do is done well, is done with real effectiveness and real power. And in an American society where materialism and where what we have defines our value and worth, 
we may have to make some hard decisions about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, creating margin may require a lifestyle change. Um, There may be areas in your life, in our life, that we have to reevaluate and we have to say, is this worth the cost? Um, And that could be an actual like financial cost. It could be emotional cost. It could be time cost. But creating margin requires, um, may require lifestyle change. You know, you have to ask yourself, is uh, this car payment for this new car like something that's worth the extra time I have to put in at work? You know, and that's not saying having a new car is wrong. All we're getting at is reevaluating, like honestly looking at the things in your life, whether that be material goods or time commitments, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's reevaluating it and saying, is this necessary? And if it's not, that's going to change the way I'm living my life. You know, we're orbiting around a whole lot of stuff right here around creating margin. But if we get down deep into the epicenter of why we sabotage or self-destruct margin, why we're so terrified of it, is because it begins to expose identity stuff. So like for me, I'm a textbook eight, which means I think that I can go and do until I collapse. And that has happened in my life before. And I can feel that exhaustion. It's like I've been running from the exhaustion and the train has been behind me of exhaustion. And now I've stopped running and this freight train of exhaustion is coming. And and my identity is offended by that. <laughs> you know, my strong, keep going identity is like, why are you so tired? <laughs> and to truly create a, a holy margin, a kingdom margin requires a sense of identity that is rooted in Jesus and rooted in childlikeness. Years ago, Eugene Peterson, he's like the pastor of all pastors, gave to us the message paraphrase. He wrote this great little article in Christianity Today addressing pastors and their busyness as, an, as a means of identity, and I think it translates to all of us. I want to read this quote to you guys. I think it will resonate with you around the identity piece. Peterson wrote, I am busy because I am vain. Um, Eugene was never known for pulling punches in his writings. I am busy because I am vain. I want to appear important, significant. What better way than to be busy? The incredible hours, the crowded schedule, and the heavy demands on my time are proof to myself and to all who will notice that I am important. If I go to a doctor's office and find there's no one waiting and see through a half-open door the doctor reading a book, I'm going to wonder if he's any good. A good doctor will have people lined up waiting to see him. A good doctor will not have time to read a book, even if it's a very good book. Although I grumble about waiting my turn in a busy doctor's office, I'm also impressed with his importance. Such experiences affect me. I live in a society in which crowded schedules and harassed conditions are evidence of importance. I want to be important, so I develop a crowded schedule and harassed conditions. When others notice, they acknowledge my significance, and my vanity is fed. The busier I am, the more important I am. And that, my friends, that quote highlights the delusion that I live in so often, and I think the delusion that American society sets up for us to live in. You know, more than ever, we need to root ourselves and reorient ourselves around our true identity in who we are. 
at the end of Matthew chapter 4, before Jesus officially started his public ministry, he comes to John the Baptist in the river to be baptized. And in verse 16 of chapter 4 of Matthew, it says that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Guys, before Jesus even started his public work, he was assured of his identity. He was a loved Son. We know when we know who we are, more importantly, whose we are. Suddenly, we aren't having to prove anything through our busyness or a crowded schedule. We don't have to find significance in all the things that we've got lined out and that we're doing because suddenly we're like, I'm a loved child and I'm living out of that and I don't have to prove myself in those things. You know, really from there, with margin, we can actually begin to discern what work should be filling our calendars. With margin, we can actually love people and not use them for our own vanity's sake. Yeah, I think that last piece is so huge that my wife just so beautifully addressed. With margin, we can actually love people and not just use them for our own vanity's sake. You know, when we're not just going and going and going, we can stop looking at people as pawns on our little chessboard where we're trying to position them so that we can get ahead and be significant or be whatever it is that our thing is. Margin says, I can let people into my life and just be with them. I don't need to rush through this coffee time. I don't need to strategize how this coffee time is going to benefit me in some way. I can be fully present to another human being in the presence of Jesus, in the present moment, because I have margin to live out of that. And that is a really profound and beautiful thing. You know, we've been chatting here for about 30 minutes, and so we should start to wrap it up. But I would encourage you, we would encourage you, um, try to make this real. Um, if you can, put away your phone right after this podcast closes. Take five minutes and reflect on, um, reflect on just being loved as a child. What would it look like for you to spend the next hour just being a child, carefree, um, and when those mechanisms of need for security and fear or those need for uh, of affirmation and love, whatever mechanisms uh, we are trying to create as we do, 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 what does it look like for five minutes to just say, I don't, my father is with me. My father will provide for me. My father is guiding me. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. And do nothing for five minutes, so that then when you do go to do something, it is it is of the Spirit and in the Spirit out of a place of rest. Take that five minutes after this podcast and do those things. You know, dear friends, I'm just going to remind you of what was spoken over Jesus. You are loved and your Father is pleased with you. He delights in you. And so we want to encourage you to walk in your lovedness. Walk in margin this week so you can be reminded of your lovedness. We love you guys so much. We're praying for you. Shalom. Shalom, friends.